Welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope this message empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. Your vote is an act of worship. And I say that because worship is simply giving ultimate worth and value to something. And whatever that thing is, will eventually begin to shape you. It will begin to shape what you think, what you feel and what you do. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So I wonder today, what is it that you treasure the most? What is it that you love the most? Because if you can figure that thing out, you're going to start to understand why it is you do the things you do and why you make the decisions that you make. You'll also begin to understand why it is that Christians throughout history have come to understand that worship is not an event, it's a lifestyle. And that's why I say that your vote is an act of worship. Because what you treasure the most is what you're going to want the world to start to look like. And it'll also impact what you do to try and make the world look like the way you want it to look. In other words, what your heart beats for in worship will influence what your pen votes for in the ballot box. So how should a Christian vote? That's my task today to try and help us understand that from a biblical perspective. And for those who are familiar with the Bible, you will know it does not tell you who to vote for. Ah. But I'm I'm absolutely convinced that it does tell us how to vote. And as much as I would love to spend my normal classroom time of allocation of, you know, a couple of hours starting in Genesis and working all the way through to Revelation. We don't have time for that. So I've chosen a piece of Scripture that I think is going to help us understand a biblical approach to voting. But before we read that, I just want you to ponder with me. Are you one of those people who thinks, my vote really doesn't matter anyway, because quite frankly, there isn't a single party or a single leader that I actually want to give my vote to. Or maybe you've voted a few times and you're thinking, I've learned through experience that it doesn't actually matter what I vote for because in the end, they're just going to do what they like anyway. So why should I bother? Or maybe you're one of those Christians who just think, all I'm thinking about is Jesus coming back and nothing else here really matters. None of those are good options or excuses for why we should not vote as a Christian. Okay. So what does the Bible say? Turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. And I'm just going to set the scene by beginning at verse 1. And we read these words. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Babylon. 
Moving down to verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters a marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But... Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Three things I think the Bible speak to us about in terms of how do we approach voting as a Christian. We are to seek, we are to pray, and finally we are to hope. So let's start with seeking. And I've just thought about two basic ideas, attention and actions. So where is our attention as we seek the good of the city? Number one, do your homework, says the teacher. Do your homework. Oh, really? Would you please be an informed voter, not a clueless hoper? Don't be clueless in the ballot box. Like some of you, I have some medical issues and part of what that led to a few years ago was making some really drastic changes in lifestyle, particularly with what I eat. And here's what changes when you do that kind of thing and you start going to restaurants or you go to the supermarket. You read the ingredients not just the packaging, right? It changes what you do because you're now concerned about what is it actually doing, not what does it look like or how cool is it. So I've made big changes in how I eat. I eat more like a rabbit now than I used to. There's been some benefits. I lost a bit of weight and I ended up growing taller than my hair. Bit of a downside. But I'm concerned about the, what's on the ingredient list because that's actually more important to me now than slogans. Are you doing the same when you think about your voting? And let's be honest, some of you are going to be thinking, okay, good point, but I'm busy. I don't have time for a teacher telling me to do my homework. And I feel your pain. I really do. So I'm going to recommend a website that's going to save you some time and it's going to help you in this process of being informed valueyourvote.org.nz. This is a Christian website that will give you a breakdown on a table of all the parties and the politicians and major legislation that they have voted on, and it will give you an idea on what they voted for. Um, Brent's also got a handout, I think, which has the same kind of information. Please make use of that. It's a one-stop shop. It'll be really, really good because being uninformed can be dangerous. Like the man who went to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, I've got some bad news and I've got some worse news. And the guy said, well, what's the bad news? Well, you've only got 24 hours to live. And the guy was distraught. 24 hours to live? What could possibly be worse than finding out I've got 24 hours to live? And the doctor said, well, I probably should have told you yesterday. 
Don't be misinformed, please. Okay, so do your homework. But here's the second thing, and this is where I think we really get into the nuts and bolts of what it means to vote as a Christian. Vote on principle, not personality. Principle, not personality. I don't know why it is or when it started, but electioneering in politics in our modern time is essentially a popularity contest. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but most of the attention goes on one person. And what seems to be becoming more of a focus is not what they represent, but how they make you feel. Don't vote on the personality. Vote by principles. What principles? Here's two categories of principle to think about from the Bible. And the first one is the individual. The biblical story begins with us learning that you and everyone else is made in the image of God. God didn't select some to be made in his image and some not to be. Every single one of us is made in the image and the likeness of a good, loving, and creative God. Are the people or the parties you're voting for people who value every person in every part of life and through all of life? Do they place the same kind of value on each individual as your Father in heaven does? The second category is institutions. Now this could take a long time, but I'm just going to give you a snapshot view. There are four institutions we see in the Bible that God has ordained. Marriage, family, the church, and believe it or not, governing authorities. Who he actually calls, in Romans, God's servants for your benefit. Here's an interesting side thought. Our major politicians, what is their job title? They are ministers. What does the word minister mean? Servant. Who was the number one primary servant? The prime minister. Interesting thought. So what do the politicians and the parties you're thinking about voting for say about marriage? What do they say about the family? What do they say about the church? And what do they say about their own authority? Do they know their boundaries? All of these institutions will go in one of two directions. In a direction that's more honouring to God or in a direction that is not honouring to God. So if this whole process is like a compass and God is north... Where is the needle pointing when you're examining the policies? You know this is a broken world. The Bible tells us it's a broken world. So we shouldn't be surprised as Christians when the world doesn't look the way we want it to look. All the stuff that's going wrong and makes us feel disturbed shouldn't surprise us if you read your Bible. So don't expect perfect policies when it comes to these kinds of things. But I tell you what you can look at. Where is the needle pointing? Is it more in that direction? Or is it pointing somewhere else? Something to consider. 
At this point, you might be saying, okay, Simon, so are you telling me I have to vote for a Christian party? And my answer is no. No, you don't. But as Brent spoke about last week really, really well, is to think about this idea. What about other people? What about the poor and the vulnerable? If we are to seek the welfare of the city, you're not the only one in the city. So what about the other people? Are we thinking of them? Remember that policy is born from ideology. Policy doesn't come out of nowhere. So to be informed as a voter means you've got to ask some good questions. And here is one I think is really helpful. Don't ask just what is the policy. Ask why is the policy. Why do these people want to put this in our legislation? Proverbs tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but but sin is a reproach to any people. We're shooting for righteousness. So we seek by our attention. The second thing is our actions. And the biblical commandment for us Christians, believe it or not, is very simple. It is do good. Do good. And we must remember as Christians that it's not legalism to be doing good if you're doing it as a witness to the faith that you have received through grace, through Christ himself. If you're doing good in order to earn brownie points with God, that is not Christianity. But as Christians, we have no excuse not to do good because it's actually a command, not a suggestion. So we seek the welfare of the city also by our actions. Just before we move on, what does this, this word welfare mean? And some of you will probably know that the, the Hebrew word underneath this is the Hebrew word shalom. So your Bible might have the word peace. It might have maybe prosperity. The word shalom is a word that carries a huge amount of meaning, but in short, it's an all-encompassing well-being, completeness or wholeness. And an analogy that I've found that's really helpful to understand this is you imagine a brick wall and a car's crashed through it, and there's this big gap in the wall now. So you call on the builders, and brick by brick, they start to repair. And when that final brick goes in the last hole, it is now complete and whole again. That is shalom. We are to seek that for our city and for our nation. So to seek the welfare of the city is more than being informed, it's about being useful. And Jesus shows us a picture of this when he taught his disciples that we are to be both salt and light. So I want you to notice the stark contrast here. If we are to be salt and light, what he's saying is the world must be more corrupt and it must be getting more dark. So he likens the world, first of all, to rotting fish or meat. It's a lovely image, isn't it, just before lunchtime? So before you have fridges in this time, what do you do to preserve the meat? You, you soak it in a salty brine or you cover it in salt because it's a preserving agent. And then he compares the world to a room after dark where the lights have gone down and people cannot see where they're going. They will stumble, they will fall, they will hurt themselves. So we live in a world that is corrupt and dark and it needs preserving, and it needs improving. That's our mission. That's our mission. That's your mission. 
as the church, remembering the church is us, we are to preserve and improve. When a piece of meat goes rotten or a room goes dark, what use is there in blaming the meat or the room? There's none. The question becomes, where's the salt? Where's the light? So in New Zealand, when you look around and you think this place is becoming darker, it's becoming more corrupt, should we blame our society or should we ask this question? Where are all the Christians? Where are the Christians? Where are the people that God has called to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation? Where are the people who just like Abraham in the Old Testament have been blessed by God in order to be a blessing to others? So we seek the welfare of the city. The second thing is that we pray. And we pray to the Lord on its behalf. So why, why do we pray? We pray because in both Testaments, God's people are commanded to pray for the blessing of the places that they live in. Daniel is our best example that I could think of in the Old Testament. And interestingly, Daniel is one of the exiles listening to this letter that Jeremiah reads out. By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, there we wept when we remembered Zion. Daniel, a 15 or 16-year-old kid, ripped away from his family, taken on a 1,400-kilometer trek to a foreign country, the foreign culture, foreign language, his identity and his future stripped from him. And what did he do? He prayed. Three times a day, he prayed. Now, we don't know from Scripture exactly what was on his prayer list, right? But if you look at all of his life, all that time in Babylon, he served under four kings. He rose to the highest levels of government. He was the best and the brightest. He did everything he could to make Babylon look great. You cannot tell me that Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were not on his prayer list. Who's on your prayer list? Who's on your prayer list? I think Daniel knew what Jesus told us in the New Testament. Because it's really hard to keep on hating someone when you keep on praying for their blessing. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those people who persecute you. And he asked us to do that because Jesus loves them as much as he loves you. And he also knows that without him working in you, you will never achieve that. You cannot love those people without his spirit changing your heart. So if you want to seek the welfare of your city by praying, the place to start obviously is on your knees. How do we pray though? We get a clue in 1 Timothy 2. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanks be given, be made for all people, for kings 
and prime ministers and government politicians and all who are in high positions that we may lead a life peaceful and quiet, godly and dignified in every way. The key kind of prayer in that verse is intercession. And this is what Jeremiah is telling the exiles. To intercede means to pray on behalf of. What that means is we stand in the middle between God and our society. We stand in the middle between God and our politicians. We stand in the middle between God and our parliament. And we get on our knees and we intercede on behalf of those people to God for the welfare of our city and for the welfare of our nation. So we seek and we pray. And the final thing is that we hope. We hope. Back to Jeremiah 29. You'll recognize one of these verses down to verse 10. We read this. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for a welfare, shalom, and not for evil, but to give you a future and a hope. I want you to catch something there. 70 years. They've just arrived and they get told, 70 years, you've got to wait. Daniel, teenager, when your grandkids are having babies, then you guys get your land back. But yet God says he still has good plans. What makes us like these ancient exiles in Israel? We read in the New Testament that we too, like them, are strangers and aliens in a foreign land. Your citizenship, despite what your passport says, as a Christian is no longer in New Zealand. It's actually in heaven. You are people of the kingdom, not people of New Zealand. We are Christ's ambassadors in exile, seeking and praying on behalf of others to God for the welfare of the city and this nation. Because our ultimate hope is the king who will return and make everything right again. We will get our land back. We will get a world again that is just like Eden. But in the meantime, we've got stuff to do. Vote and live as a Christian who lives in New Zealand not as a New Zealander who happens to be a Christian. So we finish with hope. And think about this, in a society where we are pushing God further and further to the margins, what I see are people starting to put on politicians expectations that only God can fulfill. which then means we put far too much expectation on fallen people to do what a perfect God can only do. So be realistic in your voting. Put your hope in the right place. Israel in the Old Testament, and you could kind of argue, voted once. And their vote was for a king like the other nations. 
And what we read in Scripture, what they did with their vote is they voted for a person rather than God. So you need to vote for a people in a party, but where are you putting your hope? Where are you putting your hope? Hope is an anchor for the soul. And that is why when people lose their hope, they lose their will to live. But here's the problem with anchors. If they're not attached to something that won't move, they're not very good for you. They may be okay on a calm day and they may be okay when the weather's all right. But when the, start, when the storm comes and the waves start to rise, if your anchor is attached to anything but the bedrock, you're going to be totally lost. Don't attach your ultimate hope to the politicians. We attach our hope to God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is God of all gods. He is creator of everything. He is the one whom every knee will bow to. He is the one from the beginning to the end. He is eternal. He knows everything. He is all powerful. He is the Alpha and the Omega. There is nothing that catches Him unawares. The gates of hell and death are so feeble and weak and pathetic when compared to Him. That is where our hope goes. I love the words of the old hymn. My hope is built on nothing less. Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I dare not trust and a politician for my ultimate hope. I dare not trust in a political party for my ultimate hope. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, solid rock, I stand. Seeking sand. Where is your hope, people? Please vote. But don't put your hope in what you tick with your pen. How should a Christian vote? We are to seek with your attention and with your actions the welfare of Nelson in Aotearoa, New Zealand. You are to pray for our country, for our people, for our politicians on their behalf to God. And finally, we put our hope in God more than politics or government. And as I finish, I want to add a thought here because as important as your vote at these elections are, there is one vote that supersedes them all. And that is the vote that you cast with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. 
vote for Christ. Because that one will last for eternity. Finish with this thought. Vote for God with your heart before you vote for a politician with your pen. Father, I thank you that you are mighty. I thank you that you are our hope. You are our true anchor for our soul. May we, your people, be salt and light in this world. May we be agents who preserve and improve this world that you love so much that is groaning in so much pain. May we be the kind of people who not only seek the welfare of our country, but pray. But Lord, I pray and make good choices when we go into that ballot box. But Lord, I pray above all things that every day with our heart and our heads and our hands that we vote for you every step we take. Amen. Amen. Isn't that awesome? We hope you enjoyed this message. If you're wondering what your next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch with us. Email us at info at or visit our website, annasbrook.co.nz.